Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matthew Farrell. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about the most recent episode, which dropped on Never. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we skipped a week. <laughs> the title of this episode was... So some of our listeners who have checked in more regularly may have noticed that there was not a title and there was no air date. And that's because Matthew has become lazy. That's right. Now, why don't you launch into the real reason? <laughs> What's funny is I actually had a couple of people reach out to me over the past couple of days asking when Are the next okay? episode was going to be. And that, it was along those lines, like reading between the lines was like, is everything okay? And I was I, I was very kind of touched by that because it was like, I don't think of my YouTube channel as people watching every single episode. Mm -hmm. People will dive in and out and watch ones that interest them. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of it was kind of nice to know that there are people out there that seem to watch every episode. <laughs> they reached <laughs> out to make sure I was okay. This is a little bit of these how the sausage is made, but mm -hmm. I tend to work a week or two at least in advance on my episodes. I know what episode's coming out three weeks from now, and or four weeks from now because there's they're all in different states of progress. And over July, the July 4th holiday, it was like, I was like feeling a little kind of burned out and I needed to take a break. So I took the holiday weekend off and that threw things off. And then layering on top of that, a couple of the ideas that I have for videos started getting delayed because mm -hmm. one of them is I'm getting a Tesla Powerwall. I earned a Tesla Founders Edition Powerwall from the referral program a while back. And they finally contacted me and said, after two, it's been like a year and a half I've been waiting. They're like, it's ready. We're going to send it to you. And there's this, because of the pandemic, there's been shipment delays of not the battery pack itself, but something that's called the gateway. <laughs> <laughs> so my battery pack is ready and waiting for me, but they're trying to get their hands on the gateway. So it's delay in getting that. And so I was planning videos around the installation and around home battery packs. And that got delayed by a couple of weeks and a couple more weeks. And now it's looking like it's going to be till August. So that made me rejigger my schedule. And then there's a smart home device I'm currently testing, which is basically adding a, a brain to your water heater to save energy on your water heater use. Right. And it's called the Quanta. And I installed it and during the installation. I discovered, oh, there's a cable missing from the box. And it's the most important cable that's supposed to be in the box. <laughs> And the manual for the uh, what's supposed to be included in the box lists everything down to the screws that you use to screw it to your water heater, except for that cable. How do you how how do you have instructions that in the manual that say, now install the communications cable, but not <laughs> but in the packing list it doesn't include the communications cable. Right. It was yeah. So I had to wait for them to ship it to me. So not now a I've good had, start for that company. No. Yeah. So now I've got, I've got everything for that, but that put me two weeks behind on that. And now I have to get, I'm still waiting for it to collect enough data to get my opinion about the product. So that threw me behind. And I got to the point where it was like, I was struggling trying to come up with ideas to fill in these gaps. On top of that, because I've been feeling so overwhelmed because it takes me on the order of about two days to edit an episode. So you're talking about the time to do the research or the reviewing, the time to write the script, the time to film the script, the time to edit it. It's basically a full week to make it an episode. I finally have gotten enough money coming into the channel that I was able to hire a full-time video editor to help me out. And he just started <laughs> mm. this past week. So all of those things that were throwing me off, plus 
this now full-time employee that's working for me, trying to get him up to speed, I just had to kind of throw my hands up in the air and go, I need a week off. I need to not worry about this and just hit the pause button while I was trying to get everything back in order. But yeah, so that that's why there's no episode this past week. I can't tell you how much I hope that the device you're connecting to your water heater is actually a brain in a jar. <laughs> like Futurama? <laughs> yeah. Not a head, just a brain. Just a brain. <laughs> just a brain with some electrodes in it and it's just kind of like gently pulsing. And yeah. you connect it, and the first thing it says is, kill me. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a cool product, but at the same time, it was it was just a bit of frustration. Oh, and there was one other product I've been testing. I've done a bunch of videos on Eufy products, and they mm-hmm. sent me one of their newest ones, which is a smart door lock. And it has a fingerprint sen- sensor in it, and it's, it's a really well-built piece of kit. And mm-hmm. I installed it and I was trying it out. And soon I've been using it for the past two weeks. And <laughs> there's clearly something off with it. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> the batteries in this thing are supposed to last maybe a year. Right. It just it uses AA batteries, standard batteries. But they should last for about a year. A couple of days ago, it verbally said, check your battery. It's getting low. And in the app, it shows there's about 25% of battery life left. And we've been using it for two weeks. <laughs> so... That's a sign of, uh uh-oh. But the other thing that it does is every time, not every time, but a lot of times when you manually unlock the door to leave, it immediately (laughs) relocks. So it's kind of like the house going, no, (laughs) you can't leave. But it's it's annoying because it's like a lot of times you'll you'll unlock it, you'll open the door, and as the door's opening, it's going <laughs> back up. So now the deadbolt is sticking out. So then when you go to close the door, you smash it into your smash it into yeah, it. Yeah. And then other times it does it so quickly that you can't even open the door. So you you click it, and by the time you reach the handle, it's already closing back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't happen every time. And I've been talking to them about it and they were, they were saying, are you in the most recent firmware? We're looking into it. We can't figure out what it is. And the last time I contacted them, they were like, okay, just send us the device. We think something's wrong. And right. so they're sending me a new one. So once again, this is another one of those things that it's adding delays to content that I was trying to plan around. And so it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. everything's been thrown into kind of a loop over the past, I don't know, four to six weeks. You've always been along the bleeding edge of technology as far as from my perspective. You know, I'm, I'm several steps behind you. I get your hand-me-downs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would love a new universal remote if anybody's listening. <laughs> One of the downsides of that is you are running into issues like, it really is astounding that a company didn't include one of the major components to use a device or even mention that component in their manual. And if it's not included by design, no, it was an accident. They told me they said it should. They were like, it should have been in the box. I'm like, but why isn't it in your packing list on the thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> did anybody say? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, they did not. <laughs> that's a pretty glaring error. Yes, that's atrocious. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's pretty bad. It's a great it's a great product so far, but man, wow, you guys. <laughs> you got to yeah. rewrite your manual. <laughs> I also have a separate question about the power wall. How big is this thing and where will you be putting it? It's, I don't know the exact dimensions, but it's roughly maybe two and a half feet wide and maybe three feet, th- three to four feet tall. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and 20 sorry, feet deep. Sorry for the European listeners, but I'm an yeah. American and we don't know yeah. a metric. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, 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 your really, listeners it's a, are lucky that you didn't say it's one arm wide <laughs> yes. and, and it weighs three stones. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's three Chloe's. <laughs> yeah. It's about the size of like a movie poster. Right? I mean, that's the best way to think of it. So, uh, okay. and then maybe it's a few inches deep. You can put it outside. You can put it, I could have put it in my garage, but one of the installers I talked to said some inspection cities, some cities require that you put, it can't be anywhere a car could hit it in your garage. Uh, and if it yes. is, okay. you have to build some kind of protective covering around it. Mm. And so when I heard that, I was like, ah, so we're going to, we're going to try to put it in our finished basement, which is right against our garage. Okay. So we're going to probably install it right there. It'll be out of sight, but it will also, the benefit of that is it's going to be inside the house, which means it'll be in a climate controlled environment. So I won't have to worry about any kind hot, of like hot garage in the, in the summer or, or cold garage or, in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. So it won't have to worry about super freezing temperatures in the winter time or anything like that. So there's a benefit of putting it inside. Right. And I suppose if you needed to put it somewhere in a garage, you could do something like have a specially built thing up on a wall to keep it away from being able to be hit by a car. Yeah. People that I've seen have it in their garages and they tend to be maybe three feet off the ground, four feet off the ground. Right. So they won't so be they're like higher up on the wall. And then that way a car, if it hit the wall, it's hitting the wall and the power right. wall will be above the car. So it's, they, they tend to do stuff like that. Right. And what's the overall capacity of that supposed to be? If, depending on the size of your home, you may need multiple. Mm -hmm. uh, for my case, I'm only having one and that's not enough to be able to run my full house. If the grid goes down, I wouldn't be able to run my air conditioner and my you know, electric dryer and stuff like that. It would, it would, it would require too much power draw. So when they hook it up, they're probably going to hook it up and back up everything in my house, except for my dryer and my air conditioner. So it'll cover everything. So if the power goes out, our refrigerators will run. We could still watch TV. We can, the house will be completely covered with the exception right. of like air conditioning. Right. So you watch TV, but you'll be sweltering. We'll be sweating profusely if it happens <laughs> in the middle of summer, but we'll still be able to watch our shows. Right. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was going to ask you about how long would that potentially last as far as if the power does go out? In theory, we could go indefinitely. Um, as long as your solar panels continue to correct. get the right level. Uh -huh. but, but for us specifically, time of year is important. Like right now in the middle of summer, we generate way more energy than we need. So you'd be so fine. like if there was, if there's a power outage in the middle of summer, we'd be 100% fine for right. days and days and days. But if it was right. in the middle of winter, maybe we'd go for a full day and then the battery would be tapped. Who knows? Well, given the power usage right now during what is going to be a heat wave here in the Northeast, if the power goes out, I think you would definitely um, yeah. benefit from rethinking maybe the TV isn't as important as the air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's, you should just get a book and sit down with the AC. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if to have something like the air conditioning covered, we'd probably need two power walls working together. Because that's going to be a much bigger draw, right? It's it's the amount of energy that the, the battery is capable of giving at once. That's that's the problem, is that the air conditioning draws too much. So it would need two power walls working in tandem to right. provide enough energy. You've recently taken on an employee. Mm -hmm. It's a long-distance employee. Yes, but it is. it's still an employee, which is yes. an interesting, I think, growth of your channel. Do you want to talk about your experience with that? Before my life as a YouTuber, I was a creative director at a video game company for, I was a creative director for maybe 10 years, and I was even managing before that. So I've, I, a huge bulk of my career was managing teams of 
videographer, um, video editors, writers, graphic designers, user interface designers, all that kind of stuff. So I've worked with audio engineers <laughs> it's, and I've done, I've managed employees that were remote, like in San Francisco, I'm in Boston. I've worked with people in China, India, the Ukraine. So I, I'm, I'm used to working with people remotely around the world. The challenge when it comes to working with somebody in a completely different location, like the guy I hired is 12 hours different from me. Now he's in bed. <laughs> So it, it does add a challenge with the time difference, but hiring somebody, I'm, I was looking for somebody that is kind of a self-starter and can kind of do his own thing and tries to solve his own problems if he runs into roadblocks. I didn't want to have, have somebody that you have to handhold. Um, mm -hmm. And the guy I hired is, um, his name is Sonny, and he is he is incredibly smart. And he seems to be a real go-getter and he's, he's been going the extra mile already. And so it's like, it's clear, you know, that's the, that's the personality I was looking for is that somebody who's not only capable at video editing, but somebody that can try to find the answers to his own questions mm -hmm. because he's going to need to be self-reliant because of the time difference. He and I are only able to communicate <laughs> basically kind of like in real time together, like between seven and 11 in the morning or seven and 11 at night. Right. Um, and every other time outside of that, it's kind of like we're both kind of independent from each other. But I've got systems set up where there's a couple different software services that we're using that allow for easy handoff of project files for, because I use Final Cut Pro on the Mac and so does he. And so we have ways of when I shoot videos in the studio, I just drop them into the sharing service that creates all these different kind of proxy files for him to download. And I create the project file in this other software and he's able to check it out, do edits. And then when he's got something for me to review, he just passes it back to me and I can add comments that are frame accurate inside of the video editing software that then when he gets back to it, he can very easily just see exactly what I want changed. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot of tools available today, which is so cool. You can work remotely. It's like, it doesn't matter that he's not here in the Boston area with me. We'd probably be using this software no matter where he was. The, t the time difference is the big challenge, but it, it's something that we can work around. It, the final episode's like 12 minutes long, but I screw up reading my script so badly sometimes. <laughs> I usually end up with 45 minutes of footage of me talking. Wow, that's a lot and, of screws up. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I'm not a performer. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, it's I end up with these video files that sometimes you're talking about 25 to 30 gigabytes of video files, right? That then have to be transferred, and so it's like it's like yeah, you can use Dropbox and stuff like that for it. But then on the flip side, does he need to download 30 gigabytes of files? And it's like actually you don't. When you're editing video, you can you can edit with low res versions of that video file but you only need the high res versions when you go to export the final thing. So it's like, yeah. it's the services that we're using are built all around that. In software development, there's work processes called agile software development. And there's a service called Trello that uses something that's called a Kanban board, where you basically just have a list of tasks and you just put them in priority order. And then there's visual columns. So you have a, on the left-hand side, you've got a column that's to do. And then when you're working on something, you drag that card. It looks like little cards. You drag that card to the next column, which is working on it. And then the next column could be, you know, Q&A, you know, QA. And then the one after that could be finished. So you can create whatever columns you want. And it creates this visual chart of like, you can see everything that has to be done, everything that's in progress, where it is in progress and who's responsible for it. So it's like at a snapshot, you know, exactly where everything is. Mm -hmm. And Maybe a month or two ago, I started using a service called Notion. I want to go to the mountaintops and scream to anybody that has to do project management, you need to be using Notion. I've used so many of these different kinds of software at the companies I've worked at, and this is the best thing I've 
ever used for this kind of stuff. It does. It's everything from a wiki to a Kanban board, to everything. And so it's like, I've got all my sponsorship information in there. It's like a relational database and it's, mm-hmm. I've got a style guide that I put together that I was able to share with Sonny so that when he started, he had, he knew what plugins to download and install the colors, the logos, everything he needed to know I had written up in this. And we have this shared Kanban board, so he knows what I'm working on. I know what he's working on. Mm-hmm. We can add comments back and forth in this thing. Um, in addition, I actually do have two freelancers I use from time to time to help me do research on some of my deeper scripts on things. And I'm probably going to be giving them access to this Kanban board at some point, too. Once you start to kind of, even if you're just an individual, stuff like this helps. But when you're working with teams remotely, you need yeah. to have tools that everybody can access at any point to be able to find the answers they need to find for themselves at that moment, to not have to rely on other people. And all that stuff is out there. And so it's like, as companies have been kind of discovering some of these systems, like what you're describing and using them more, it's like the question of, do you need to have a gigantic office full of thousands of people? Or could we actually have a smaller office and people can work from home because we have all the tools we need to be able to, granted, this is for kind of like, I don't want to say white collar jobs, but like, you know, jobs. There are jobs that require a person to actually be in a location. There are jobs where you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do it remotely, but there are office jobs. Yeah. But there is, yeah. The, you know, the idea of, of breaking away from the, a job is a place you go yes to yes. a job is a thing you do. And some, Correct. some things do require a person to be on a certain site. You can't dig a hole remotely. Yeah. Uh, yet, you know, eventually, you know, <laughs> there'll be a robot that does it for you. Yeah. And you're at home and you're just playing a video game called hole digger and <laughs> Good job. Now dig another <laughs> hole. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm digging holes. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, like goat simulator. Um, yeah, it's it's really remarkable the the layers that you've described of of being able to do all that. And when you think about like 15 years ago, the number of people it would have taken to do everything that the two of you are doing. Yes. Yeah. That would have been a team, a mm-hmm. much bigger team. And now you've got two people on two opposite sides of the globe, both working in almost real time with each other. And it probably in a certain way benefits you that your time difference from him is roughly, is it 12 hours exactly? Or is it 12 hours? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it keeps you out of his hair. Yes. You know what I mean? As like, as far as a manager employer uh, relationship goes, he knows like I can work on this for a solid 12 hours before Matt's going to weigh in. Yes. And that's nice. In creative fields too, managing artists and stuff like that. For as long as I have, I've, I've, I know as an, as somebody who's done this work and I know as managing somebody who does that work, it's like, mm-hmm. it's really irritating when a boss comes up and leans over your shoulder and goes, so how's it going? And you're yeah. like, in your view, you're halfway there. And what you have now is not shareable. Yeah. And you're terrified that they're going to start commenting on things that are like, that's not done. That's not done. Please don't comment yeah. on that. That's not done. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, he's not going to be sharing something with me until he's comfortable with sharing it with me. Yeah. So it's like, that's the way it should be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your manager comes in and is like, how's it going? And you've got a doodle of a dog. Yeah. Chewing on a tree. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm almost done, boss. <laughs> Despite there not being a video, it seems like that was a robust little discussion about what it goes, what goes on in the background of making the videos. But before we end this episode of the podcast i think that matthew and i both had some suggestions as far as ways that 
people can entertain themselves with videos or TV shows or books or whatever to keep themselves sane during the pandemic. And staying sane is becoming more difficult than ever, but we will still make some suggestions. Matt, do you want to go first? It was last week, I think it was, that on Apple TV, a movie came out called Greyhound, which was written and starred Tom Hanks. It was supposed to come out in theaters on Father's Day. Obviously, (laughs) did not happen. So I think it was Sony Pictures that made the movie, ended up selling off the streaming rights to the movie, and Apple bought it. I think they bought it for like $75 million or something. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And it's free to watch. So if you have access to Apple TV... Plus, you can watch this movie, no cost. And it's a summer blockbuster World War II movie. And it's kind of like in the vein of 1917, if you've seen that movie, where it's mm-hmm. it's just action. Like, there's, there's very little, there's like no exposition. There's no downtime. It's just wall to wall. Once it gets started, it doesn't stop until it stops. Mm-hmm. Hour and a half, tight action movie um, that showcases what it was like to uh, captain a destroyer in World War II when you didn't have sophisticated radar, you didn't have sophisticated sonar, and you communicated to other people using flashing lights doing Morse code between ships. Mm. This was terrifying. And it it was just, I I would say it's a, for me, I know there's other people that absolutely loved the movie. I would say I liked it a lot. It had, for me, some flaws I didn't feel as emotionally connected to the characters as I did as I did with 1917. But Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. He's he's phenomenal. It, the filmmaking is extremely competent. The special effects are great. Like I said, no downtime. So if you're looking for a fun, engaging action movie that will show you something that you've never seen before from like a World War II point of view, like what it was like to be pilot a destroyer. And it, it's it's incredible for that. It kind of f- feels like it, you could have a double feature. You could watch the German movie Das Boot, <laughs> <laughs> which is the, the, the German side. Well, yeah. It's basically the German side from a, a U-boat captain's point of view. That movie is incredible. Um, mm-hmm. You could watch that movie and then you could watch this movie and it gives you the two sides of that kind of coin, which is- yeah. That would be an incredible double feature. Um, Dust Boat is a better movie. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But uh, this movie is very good. I would, I would recommend it. The other thing I would want to bring up, I talked about, I think I talked about before where I was playing Last of Us 2. I finally finished it and I can't stop thinking about that game. And that game, I think, is going to haunt me for a very long time. I have not felt, like when it comes to movies, I'm a huge movie fan, but it's like when it comes to movies, there are movies that kind of haunt with me and stick with me. And I'm sure you have the same thing, but this game kind of like, hit me like right in the core because the way there are plenty, it's basically a revenge tale and there's plenty of movies and books that deal with revenge and the consequences of revenge and question like, this is not how we should be handling things, what the ramifications of that are. But it, this did it in such a unique way. And because it's a video game, the act of violence that you're doing in the game makes you feel a very different way. And the game was masterful at making you feel on the side of the heroine as you're playing her and then turning things on its head and then making you question every decision you've made playing her up until that point and then making you feel gross playing her and then other characters in the game that you play as doing the same things. The game does these incredible reversals, twisting you around again and again. So you start to really question yourself and it goes beyond revenge and it goes into what it means to be human. It goes into why do we hate other people? 
why is there war? Why, why is, why do we denigrate people into the other? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so astounding. It's so layered and so just visceral for the, what it's doing. It's, it's, it's like the game uncharted. You play that it's basically Indiana Jones. And so by the end, I think it's the end of the first game. I think somebody tallied that uncharted one, Nathan Drake kills like a thousand people in the game. <laughs> it's it's so unrealistic. He basically committed like a basically genocide. He's like he went through and just like wiped all these people out. But during the gameplay, you never feel sadness in all these people you're murdering because right. they're bad guys. And you just kill bad guys. This game, which is made by the same exact company that made that game, every murder that you're doing starts to it starts to weigh on. You. And it's amazing that they created a game that takes that video gameness of oh you're just slaughtering all these things and all these people which are the others mm -hmm. and it and it makes it so that you feel you feel it and it's it's just astounding and i would say to you sean you need to play the game <laughs> <laughs> you really need to play this game yeah, the story check it out. yeah the, the one downside i would say to the game is it's too long it's just mm. it's it's way too long the emotional takeaway you get from the game the game could have been two-thirds the length and it would have achieved the same thing so it, it felt like it just went on a little too long, but mm -hmm. um, it didn't negatively impact the the takeaway at all. Right. I'm reminded of the game Bioshock because it has that kind of moral point when I think it was a little bit more than halfway through and I thought we were reaching the conclusion of the game when you meet the guy who is responsible for so much of what's going on. Yeah. And then the game forces you to kill him and it effectively feels like a murder. And the way the game forces you to do it is that you, the character is compelled to do it. The character doesn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So as you are doing it, you realize what you have to do and there's no way to progress in the game unless you do it. And mm -hmm. it was the one of the first times that I was playing a video game where I had that kind of moral dilemma in myself of, can I do this? Can I play this? And I'm also reminded it's not on a visceral level, but it's a big picture level. The game Mass Effect, where by the third game, yes. yeah. you were making choices that were going to change what the game was for you. And you had to make choices that could effectively lead to the death of an entire species, the end of a war, the the subjugation of a people. You had mm -hmm. to make those kinds of choices. And and I and I loved that game. So this this sounds like it would be right up my alley. The first game, Last of Us One, I actually never finished it. And I would say if you've never played Last of Us One, I would say if you're up for the time it would take to play it all, play them both. But at the same time, I think you can come into Last of Us Two without having played Last of Us One mm -hmm. and you'll have the same exact takeaway. Because they they talk about the ramification. It's all based off of what happened in the previous game. And they recap it all and they mm -hmm. cover all the bases. So it's not like you'll be lost in the story or anything like that. It's Everything kind of fills you in. So for me, some of the things that I've been enjoying, I've got a, I've got a few items on my list. And I will just make them kind of quick hits. But one of them I know that you've enjoyed in the past, which is the TV show Dark, which is on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, season two just came out. We have started watching that. We tried watching it previously. I want to say six months, nine months ago. Mm -hmm. Tried watching it and made the mistake of watching it with um, dubbing, yeah. which the problem is it's a German TV show and the dubbing made it look amateurish. 
Yes. It was, it's interesting how it works that audio cues affect your interpretation of the visual aspects on screen. The yes. acting did not seem good because the voice acting was not good. Yeah. Yep. Once we decided to come back and rewatch it, and that was based on not only your recommendation, but it suddenly in the pandemic like was getting a lot of buzz. People mm -hmm. were saying, like, if you're looking for a show like Lost, if you're looking for something that has sci-fi, if you're looking for something that is mysterious and Twins Peakish, this is the show. And so we decided to go back to it. And this time we were like, let's watch it with the subtitles. Mm-hmm. And I'm not adverse to subtitles. I like a lot of things that have subtitles. Sometimes you feel like reading a good movie or a TV show. So we sat down and we tried it with subtitles. Much, much better. Totally different experience. Yeah, even though you don't get the words, like the actual meaning of some of the words, you're yeah. still hearing the emotion in the actor's voice. So it yeah. comes through better. It comes through much better. Yeah, and when somebody has an emotional breakdown and they're in tears, it doesn't look like somebody faking tears while somebody else is saying like, I'm sad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're only a couple of episodes in, but mm -hmm. it already, right from the get-go, it drops uh, some <laughs> yeah. things into the story that let you know there are some things going on that are big picture sci-fi. Yes. And at the same time, it has a whole thriller aspect to it. So it's this uh, people in danger, especially children in danger, with this whole sci-fi bubble around it that is right up my alley. I really, really um, love the look of it. It's got a very lost feel. It feels a little bit like Twin Peaks as well. And um, so it's hitting a lot of good notes for for us. It's like peeling an onion, that show. Just, yeah. just strap yourself in because right when you think, I got this, I understand where it's going. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> it just keeps peeling back layer after layer. And it also right off the, from the, starting gun starts with a big cast of characters and it does not spoon feed you who these people are. So it takes a little bit of paying attention to be like, Oh, she's that guy's wife. They are the parents of that kid. That kid is dating this other kid who is the child of this other couple. These two people are having an affair. He has this brother. Like you have to start to piece together this larger picture because instead of spending 60 minutes giving you the, here's the small town and here's the relationships and we're mm -hmm. going to start the action later, it's the action is going and you have to be like, oh, I'm starting to piece together the relationships. The other thing that I wanted to mention that's a viewing option from uh, on TV would be on Hulu. They just released the movie Palm Springs. Haven't heard of it. Which is Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti. And it is basically the pitch would be Groundhog Day with a couple. Like Groundhog Day, the cause of the time loop is really a MacGuffin. It's beside yeah. the point. And one of the things I really liked about this movie was that it it starts with a wedding. There's a wedding going on and Andy Samberg seems very disaffected. And you realize within the first few minutes of the film, he's already trapped in the time loop. Oh. He's, he's been trapped in the time loop and he has become basically just, he's totally jaded. It like for him, he's, he's leaned into nothing matters as opposed to like, you think about Bill Murray's character, 
spends all that time and begins to not think in terms of nothing matters, but goes deeper into how do I make things matter? Right. And what Sandberg's character is doing is, is pushing the other direction. Nothing matters. And it's the relationship between him and Kristen Miliotti, Miliotti, her name is difficult for me to pronounce, their relationship pushing two different directions and trying to figure out like what's going on and how do you get out of it. And mm -hmm. it is funny and, and smart. And it's also a romantic comedy on top of those two things. So it's got, it hits a lot of notes and it was a very fun movie. And uh, J.K. Simmons is also in it hmm. and he's great in anything. He could, he could basically walk into any TV show or movie that I'm watching and do some, something completely unrelated to the main storyline. I'd be and like, you'd love he it. was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's in it and, and he's very good as well, but it's, it's a lot of like Groundhog Day. It's a lot of fun to see how the side characters, the characters in the background that you gain a sense of them through the repeated walkthroughs in the scenes. So like the bartender doesn't get a big moment, but she has so many little moments that by the end of the movie, you feel like I kind of know who she was. So it's right. one of those movies that's, it's fun and it's well done. And, um, I believe it was going to be in theaters as well, but like everything that's coming out on Hulu and Netflix. And like you said, with the, the Tom Hanks film, this movie was released in theaters in drive-ins, I believe. Oh, okay. Because, because drive-ins are making a comeback right now. <laughs> Uh, I also wanted to briefly mention two YouTube channels that I've been watching that I've been enjoying. And the first one is called Flick Connection and Flick Connection is about movies and it's hosted by a gentleman named Darren Van Dam. And I am not always in agreement with his suggestions, but what I really like about his channel is this guy must watch a lot of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and YouTube and everything. And he puts together mainly his his videos are largely the 10 best X movies on X. So it's like the best movies on Netflix right now, the best horror movies on Hulu, the best sci-fi movies on Prime. Huh. He's creating these lists and there are moments where as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, this is this is clearly not my taste or the quality of this. And he's very honest in some things. He's like, this is a very cheaply done movie. It looks cheap, but there are some things here that I think save it. And he gives that kind of review. I don't always agree with his take on certain things. I've seen him recommend things that I've actually seen and I, and I wouldn't waste my time with it. But what I think is great about it is currently Netflix, Hulu, all these other channels. There's really no easy way to get through their catalogs in a way no, that no. you can find new things. And he is one of those ways that I'm finding new things to try. So I'll watch his videos. I'll have them on in the background while I'm doing other stuff and I'll hear him talk about things and I'll make some notes about things to add to my list because he is, he is curating for me a watch list. And I think that's, it's been uh, really helpful. So I recommend that channel. That's really cool. And the other YouTube channel that I wanted to mention, and I don't recall having mentioned this before, it's called Tasting History. And it is a guy who he probably is in his mid-20s. He looks maybe maybe young 30s. Mm -hmm. But his channel basically started, I, I, his name I believe is Max Miller. He started his channel 
because he really loved the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> and he particularly liked the segments on the older episodes where they would do the historical deep dives into what yeah. was being made. So the challenges would be given, like if you watch that show now, if you watch the most recent episodes, it is very much like go make a cake that looks like an octopus. And people have to go make the cake that looks like an octopus. If you go back into the earliest seasons of the series, back when it was on the BBC and it had the original hosts, they would have challenges that were like make a Yorkshire pudding. And then they would go into a little documentary style deep dive into what is a Yorkshire pudding? What was the evolution of the Yorkshire pudding? And in some cases, they actually had to make recipes that were from the 1700s, the 1600s. They would have to make things that they had never made before because they were techniques and ingredients that a modern cook wouldn't use. So that inspired this guy to create this channel called Tasting History. And what he does is he researches old recipes and then basically makes those style of deep dives into the history of this thing and then makes the thing. Huh. And it's really, it's really clever. And it's one of those, it, it, like the Greater British Baking Show itself, it's a very calming little background thing to have on. So he did a thing where he made a loaf of bread that was the kind of bread that they made in Pompeii when Vesuvius erupted. Huh. So it is, and there are apparently loaves of that bread that were found in the ruins of Pompeii. They were actually in the ovens. And then when the ovens were covered by the ash within that ruin, they found the loaves of these breads and the recipes for some of these things were written by, you know, some of the, the historians and the, the writers and philosophers that we remember today, in some cases, actually included recipes in their writings. Hmm. So it's like Pliny the Elder and Plutarch might have included like, oh, by the way, here's how you make this bread and included that in their writings. So he's doing that kind of research where he's looking into how would they have made it? What would they have leavened it with? What ty types of sweetener would they have used? What was accessible to them? How did this evolve? Who was it made for? When would you have used it? And so he's done everything from old English recipes that might have been made for a special celebration by royalty to ancient Roman cakes to mm -hmm. it's all over the place. And it's really uh, interesting and fun. And it's filmed in his home. It's filmed in his kitchen. So it's just him sitting in his kitchen table going into the recipe and talking about what he's doing. And then while the thing is being made, he's got a nice structure to his programs where it's, it's, he starts off with the, let's start the process. And now it's got to rise. And while it's rising, I'll tell you about the history. And then he goes into the history and then he comes back and says, and now that's done rising. So it's this nice little sort of bookend of the of the programs are the beginning and the end or the actual cooking and the middle is the history. And, mm -hmm. and the videos are well done where he's giving the history with, he's got animations and he shows maps and he shows, you know, video and images of the ingredients. And so it's not just a static image of a guy sitting at his table talking. It is, it's a well done thing in the same vein as what the Great British Baking Show did with its historical documentaries about the things that were being made. So it hits an interesting little note. And I actually um, watched one recently where he made something called a raston, which was a type of bread, which 
is described as being something between a bread and a pastry. And what you do is you make this little loaf and it includes beer as one of the ingredients and you make a little loaf. And what you're supposed to do is then cut the top off and take the bread out, mix it with melted butter, and then put it back in and then bake it for another 10 minutes and then serve it warm. He made this thing and he was eating it and it's just like, this is really delightful. He's like, I'm going right for the buttery part. And he goes into the heart of it and he's like, this is so tasty. And he said, it would be great to serve it with like a steak or something like that. You couldn't have this by itself as a meal. And he's like, this would be great as a side thing with a, with a soup or with a steak or something like that. So I'm going to give that a shot. So <laughs> that's, that's on my to-do list for baking. I don't know if it will be done anytime soon, prior to our next recording. If it is, I will report back. If it's not done before our next recording, it <laughs> will be because we are currently entering a heat wave here in the Northeast. Yes. And me running my oven. It's not uh, going to be a good idea. <laughs> my very small kitchen, which has one window, it's not difficult to get that kitchen up to about 93 degrees. So That's Fahrenheit for Fahrenheit European for our friends in Europe. <laughs> That's right. That's probably what, 30C or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I am not I'm not too keen on running the oven right now, but maybe, maybe later in the week I'll give it a shot. So we hope everybody who's listening is safe and healthy, and we hope everybody is finding their way through the pandemic safely. And let us know what you think about any of the things we've talked about or anything that Matthew has talked about in his most recent video. Wink wink. and a quick self shout out uh one of the things that i wanted to mention was actually my own writing um before we log off i wanted to remind people that i am a writer i write usually sci-fi fired work i also have some picture books but i currently have a serialized novel that is available if you go to my website seanferrell.com there's a link right on the front page to the Curious Fictions site, which is a uh, site that allows me to easily serialize it. And you can find the first, I think it's now five chapters are up online right now. So please check that out. It is completely free. And I hope people check it out and enjoy it. You can reach out to us through Twitter at still TBDFM or me directly at by Sean Farrell or Matt at Matt Farrell and at Undecided MF. Please be sure to watch the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube and listen to the podcast, which can be found at stilltbd.fm. You can subscribe to the podcast through podcast providers like iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher. Please be sure to give us a rating, review, and share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel the channel helps Matthew and then Matthew helps me. Stay safe, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.